but we know that 2020 was a very difficult year. I'm not instructing you, I'm just reminding you of what you already know. For us personally, we have family and friends in nursing homes who are struggling. Some of us are going through personal health issues. Some of us are trying to deal with children amidst school and technology and, and trying to have a life, let alone staying at home most of the day, not having much social interaction starting to to cause our mental and and emotional health to wither in some ways. It's not just us as a church, but also us as a nation, as a world. Uh, In 2020, we saw racial tensions and racism continue to divide our country. Of deaths like people like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, which has only exasperated the existing racial racism in our country. The polarizing presidential election in the future state of America. Who can we trust? Are things counted correctly? What's going to happen moving forward the next four years? Where's our country going? Some of us feel these fears about, where's it going? And of course, the coronavirus with over 80 million cases and over 1.5 million deaths so far. Those numbers are growing by the hundreds of thousands daily. The question we should ask to start this year is, how can God help us with our pain? Especially the pain we cannot control. It would be appropriate to ask, hey God, where are you in all this? For many of us, we assume because we had a bad year, we're automatically going to have a good year. You know, at the end of the year on Facebook, people always say this was the worst year ever. And then we assume, okay, this was bad. The next year's got, this is my year. You know, we have one bad romantic relationship. We assume the next one automatically is going to be good. And maybe, but regardless of how smart we are or how much you plan or pray or try to execute, sometimes things just happen that are out of your control. And it just doesn't make sense. So we don't always have the answers for our suffering, but we do know that God's empowering grace is enough to help you experience contentment despite any pain you cannot control. The present reality of God's grace is enough for us in our pain. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And I thought it was appropriate with everything going on in our church with various issues that we're having together as a body of Christ and in our nation, in our world, to start the year back to, on a deep topic of suffering and hardships. And I, I read that passage to you in 2 Corinthians. That's what we're going to be focusing on, but we're going we're to channel our attention on the last few verses, verses 7 through 10. Before we get to the passage, we, we, a quick word on why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. And essentially, he, he wrote it for this reason to defend himself. Paul had a lot of opponents, as do all Christian leaders, and people were criticizing him and saying stuff like this, Paul, you suffer too much to be an apostle. Apostle means to sent one, someone, a leader of leaders, so to speak. They're saying, Paul, we've seen your life, you seem unimpressive, you've been through so many trials, there's no way that God is on your side, 
when we look at your life, it seems God has left you because you've been through so many waters. What are you talking about? You're an apostle. And so throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is laboring, he's writing, right? No social media back then, no email, no internet, right? They, they wrote a lot of letters back and forth. And the first 12 chapters, Paul is defending himself, not out of insecurity, but trying to make a point that, hey, you think all the stuff I've been through is a sign that God has left me, but actually all the stuff I've been through is a sign that God is with me. Paul's talking about weaknesses and difficulties that he's been through, and he's saying, hey, yeah, I know I've been all, through all this stuff, but look at how God has been working through it all. Similar to people today who say, you don't have enough faith to be healed. Just have more faith and you'll be healed. Even though you have a lot of faith and you pray and you don't get healed. And they say, well, something's wrong with you. That's absolutely unhelpful and wrong. Or people who say, if you come to faith in Christ and believe in Jesus, you'll have money, you'll have health, everything will go well. Some people say that today. And that is just not the correct message of Christianity. Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to take up your cross and Jesus himself was crucified. And all throughout the pages of the New Testament, we see suffering, 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 suffering everywhere. In our 21st century, material prosperity has done this skyrocket in America over the last 100, 120 years. Before it was like this for centuries. Suddenly we saw this big increase in all technology and life expectancy went from I think late 30s to late 40s to upper 70s. And suddenly now American Christians are uncomfortable with suffering because we're supposed to have this cushy life, an easy life. And fact of the matter is, is nowhere in Scripture does it promise that. So finally we get to chapter 12. Paul's been defending himself, talking about suffering and hardships. And then he starts the passage with this really cool somewhat difficult to interpret story of going to heaven. Did you catch that when I read it? Um, I know a man in Christ who went to the third heaven and paradise and all these things. Uh, when Paul says, I know a man in Christ, he's, he's actually talking about himself. He's talking in third person. So he's not saying, oh, my friend, my buddy, David went, oh, he told me this story. It was really cool. No, he himself went. So I know this can be hard to believe, but if you talk to some Christian leaders today or some Christians, I've heard people tell me they've had various revelations and so forth. I'm kind of hesitant to believe them. But the Apostle Paul, this is scripture, and he talks about this majestic experience of being caught out of body and being in paradise, heaven, and it being so wonderful and amazing that he couldn't talk about it when he got back because it was so glorious. You know, I follow the Christian publishing world really closely, book reviews and who's the authors and what are they writing and what are they saying, constantly reading and checking it out. And a few years ago, we had this heaven tourism of, you know, 90 minutes in heaven and 23 minutes in hell and 15 minutes in purgatory and all these other sort of things about the afterlife and this and that. And it, it became this phenomenon. And one such book was The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, Says he died, went to heaven, had this experience, wrote a book about it, sold a lot of copies. And then a few years later, he said, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. 
A lot of times today someone will say they died and experienced the afterlife. Let me tell you about it. Paul says he experienced the afterlife and he's not allowed to tell you about it. So although heaven and hell are certainly real and last forever, our understanding of the afterlife should be shaped by scripture, not personal account stories that you hear in the public. Those should be ignored. But after Paul talks about this experience, this amazing experience that few people have ever gotten to experience, he doesn't boast in that. He starts to boast about his weaknesses. That's amazing. Usually when people have like this awesome experience, they want to say, look how cool I am. Look what I got to do. I went to this concert. I was born in this rich family. I got to go to this vacation. Look at my photo. I'm so awesome. Paul has an awesome experience and says, I'm not going to talk about that. Actually, I'm going to talk about how I'm weak, how I struggle, how I have issues, and how God's power is working in me through this. You can see Paul's humility in here. In fact, I I just love this little phrase there in verse 6 where he says, he refuses to boast because, quote, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. D.A. Carson quotes, writes about this verse and he says, Most people go through life concerned that others will think too little of them. Paul was concerned that others would think too much of him. Many of us are so concerned about what other people think. And we want other people to have a high opinion of us. And certainly respect and honor from family and friends is good. But here Paul's like, nah, God's the judge. You're my opponents. I'm not here to please you, I'm here to please God. So instead of having this opportunity to flaunt, Paul starts to talk about his weaknesses. And and then we get to verse 7, and I want to focus our attention here, where Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. From this verse and the next few, I have five applications that I want us to draw from this passage. Five applications of suffering and hardship in the Christian life based on this passage. The first application I have for you is this. Pain has a purpose. There is a purpose in the pain. It's never on accident. Paul says he experienced this amazing experience in heaven, and then he got a thorn in his flesh. Why? He says it here. To keep me from becoming conceited. That word conceited there means to have an undue sense of oneself exalt oneself it means pride it means arrogance the temptation to become proud because of that experience would have been massive so there's a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble he goes out of his way to mention this because he says to keep me from becoming conceited twice we know that when the biblical authors repeat themselves they're trying to make a point Sometimes when we go through hard stuff, we don't fully know why, because we are finite. 
That's why we have to have faith and trust in God. Because as Carson says, D.A. Carson, God wants your trust more than your understanding. But here it's crystal clear. God was humbling Paul. God was humbling him, removing spiritual pride, preventing him, because he knows that pride can ruin his life. And, And sometimes people ask, why does God allow suffering? And that's a really good question. I talked about it a little bit on the Christmas Eve service. But right now I'm going to take a different angle and say, what would happen if God didn't allow suffering? Like, like you think of your own walk with God or your own personal journey of either exploring Christianity or coming to walk with Him. Imagine if things always went your way. No one ever broke your heart. No one ever let you down. You never had financial distress. You never had health issues. You, you never had family problems. You would say, what do I need God for? People say that now. Especially people who have a lot of material prosperity. Because material prosperity sort of works against faith, as others have said. So if you, if you never went through hard stuff, you, 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 would, you and I would both, we, we wouldn't pray that much. We wouldn't feel like we needed God. We, our character would be worse. We'd become self-absorbed. We wouldn't be empathetic towards people. Our lives, paradoxically, would be worse, not better. So although we shouldn't pursue suffering... Like, we shouldn't go afflict ourselves. That would be unwise. And certainly, it's good to want to be healed and want to get out of it. Like, come on, Lord, get me out of this. That's good to pray. In the middle of it, we should trust, similar to the Apostle Paul, that on some level, God is humbling us and wants us to draw near to Him. God's number one plan for our lives is to help us to become more like Jesus, who suffered so much. And he wants a close relationship with all of his children. Just like a good dad or a good mom wants a close relationship with his children, so does God. And sometimes he knows he has to bring the fire, so to speak, to draw you back to him. There was a widely recognized Christian pastor and former pastor and seminary professor, very famous man, internationally recognized, who speaks at conferences and writes books and goes all over the world, And he was speaking at a conference. Lots of people were there. And before he was going to preach, a couple came up to him and said, Hey, can we take a, can you take a picture? So he's like, yeah. And so he gets a bow tie. He has a bow tie. He's not a tie guy. He has a bow tie. So he cleans up his bow tie. He's taking a lot of pictures with people. Then people post on Instagram, Oh my gosh, I took a picture with so-and-so. So he fixes his bow tie and he looks up. And then the couple hands him the camera. They say, can you take a picture of us? He's like, oh, I thought you wanted to take my picture. Sure. So he takes, takes their picture. They had no idea who he was. Then he goes up to preach in front of a lot of people. Surely God was humbling him before using him. That's kind of how it is. God elevates, brings down, elevates, brings down. Conceit, pride, arrogance. Is a multi-headed monster Shows up in a lot of ways. We don't always know why God allows what he allows. Surely it's to keep us humble. So I just want to encourage you to, don't. yes, it's okay to cry out. Yes, it's okay to lament. But use your pain to draw near to God, not to run away from him. Use your pain, your, your pain to draw near to community. 
not to run away from community and isolate yourself. There's a purpose, even though we don't always know why. That's the first point that we can draw from this. The second application that I have for you from this passage is this. God himself is the one who permits the suffering. God does it. You can say permits, wills, sends, ordains, allows, whatever word you want to use. It's fine. There's room for all kinds of different words. But we have to see God's hand behind Paul's suffering. Otherwise, it's totally pointless. Paul says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. By who? Was God sleeping? Was he not paying attention? Was he just taking a nap and suddenly the enemy attacked him? Well, where was God in all this? And, and what was the thorn exactly? The, the, although the thorn in my flesh is uh, people, there's a lot of different interpretations about that. Like chronic pain, physical ailment, harassment from demons, mental and emotional health issues. Fact of the matter is, is Paul does not say what the thorn is. So what is the thorn in his flesh? We don't know. We keep it at that. Where the scriptures are clear, we need to be clear. Where the scripture is silent, it is best to be silent. Speculation is almost always unhealthy and leads to spiritual pride. So we, we don't know what the thorn is, but it is real, and it caused Paul a lot of pain, anguish. So much so that he prays to Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. Jesus, seriously, come on, please get this out. You can do it, you have the power. And I love the fact that we don't know what the, the thorn is, and probably a commentator said this when I was reading about it this week, but the fact that it's a mystery and it's kind of generalized, it means that we can all relate to it. If Paul would have said the thorn was lack of spiritual fruit in ministry, everyone who's not in ministry would be like, I don't care about that. Or if he would have said it's physical ailments or physical pain, if you're, you're feeling healthy, you couldn't relate. But since there's a mystery behind it, it means that all of us who have pain or some sort of pain that we wish it wasn't there, either right now in your life or from the past, we can relate to Paul and we can identify with it. And so we have to humbly admit we don't know the thorn or what it is. We know it's there. Uh, another question I want to ask is, who, who sent the thorn? What's the origin of it? In this way, we must see God's goodness and God's control. Nothing passes under God's hand. Nothing can happen to you unless God permits it. Any suffering that the enemy has, any territory, any, anything, if first God first has to grant permission. There was no accidents. Although we don't always know why the pain happens, we know God is behind it. Look at Job in the book of Job. This is probably the best example from Scripture. The Lord himself, in the first chapter, one of the most amazing chapters in Scripture, the Lord himself initiates a conversation with Satan. And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? It's like the Lord saying, hey, why don't you just go, why don't you go mess with Job a little? There. 
The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God. There's nobody like Job, the godliest person in the room. And the Lord says to Satan, you know, basically you can, you can do with what you want with him. Uh, besides this, verse 12, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So yes, the enemy had some, some slack there, but only because... So this, there's a mystery here, but we know that nothing gets out of God's control. So yes, we live in a fallen world, and that's why hardships happen. Yes, we sin, and we incur misery on ourselves because we run away from God, and when we run away from God, it, it might seem good at first, but eventually it catches up. Yes, there's a real enemy who seeks to devour people, it says in Scripture, 1 Peter 5. But ultimately, somehow, we must see that God is in control and God is sovereign. It doesn't answer our questions, but we remember again that God is in control and we can draw near to Him knowing that He knows exactly what's happening and He can help. I ask you this, do you feel like you have something in your life like Paul did where there's ongoing pain that you wish you could remove but you can't? That, that's how I define a thorn. I define it as this. Something in your life that you can't control, which causes ongoing pain that you would like to see removed if you could. So, you know, gaining weight over the holidays is not a thorn. If you really hate your job, that's, that's not necessarily a thorn because you can get a new job. If you're having marital issues or issues with children, that, that's not necessarily a thorn because you could sort of talk to a counselor or talk with one another or get pastors involved and so on and so forth. If, if you can control it or if you incurred it on yourself, that, we're, we're not talking, that's not a thorn. That matters, but that's not this sermon and that's not this text. Thorn is stuff you just got. You can't do nothing about it. Something like a, a physical limitation, uh, too short to make the basketball team, not fast enough to make the football team, not athletic enough to make the cheerleading squad, uh, a learning disability from trauma or genetics, uh, non-Christian family members, can't save them, only Jesus can save, yet they, they bother, chronic pain, that's probably the biggest one that comes to mind where we have a, a physical lim- inability or limitation because bodies aren't working right. Pray, doesn't get healed. Doctors, well, there's only so much we can do. That is a serious thorn. A, a big one for some of us is um, difficult family. I was reading an article this past week about St. Louis. I'm always reading about St. Louis, the city, the suburbs. What are the trends? What's going on? Are we getting better? Are we improving demographics? And one writer made a shrewd observation. He said, and this is subjective, right? It's not the Bible. It's just someone who's writing. He said that for kids growing up in St. Louis, uh, he, first of all, he said that St. Louis is a, a city field but feels like a small town. And some people agree with that. Some people don't. Uh, people from the city do. People from the small town don't. But he said that um, with all the cities in America, so you Washington, D.C., Portland, Dallas, everywhere, uh, the, the kids in St. Louis go away for college and then come back home with more frequency than they do in more, m- other cities. They come back home more. 
And a lot of my friends did the same thing. And that's not, certainly doesn't characterize everyone at all. But he was more about how St. Louis's low cost of living and there's a big emphasis on family. And I thought to myself, I was just reading that, you know, that could be a really good thing. It could also be a hard thing. Family's awesome. Praise God. He created family. It says in Scripture, fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. Having the grandparents around to watch the kids is a huge blessing. Family's super important. And some of you won't be able to relate to this as much as others, but if you come from a family where there's non-Christians or people who are antagonistic towards you or hostile towards you, you know, you didn't pick them. It's kind of the family that God gave you. It could be a real, real trial to figure out how do I deal with a difficult mom or mother-in-law or difficult father? I need to create boundaries, but I also need to be respectful. How do I do that? That's massively difficult to deal with. And you know, when you're from a, if you're from St. Louis, we have this ingrained in us that family is the most important thing. So take care of your family, watch your family, is really good. But Jesus does tell us in the Gospels that you have to love me more than you love your own family. And that means sometimes you're going to disappoint them to please God. Creating boundaries and practicing self-care. One thing you can do is pray, and that's what Paul does. That brings me to my third application where Paul's specific request is denied. This is Paul the church planter. Wrote scripture. Led many people to Christ. Outside of Jesus, the most influential Christian ever. And yet he prays. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He's praying to Jesus. The word pleaded there means urge strongly. Not once, not twice, three times. Lord, please take this away. Please take this away. Please take this away. Nope. So if you pray, God doesn't answer your prayer how you want him to, you're in good company. You're with the Apostle Paul. God could have healed Paul like that in an instant and it would require nothing of him because he's all powerful and yet God has a purpose and he replies to Paul, says this, essentially he says, I'm I'm not going to take away your thorn, I'm not going to answer your prayer the way you want, no, 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 I'm not going to even tell you why I'm not, I'm God, you're not, I can do, I can do these things, I don't, I don't owe you an answer, I do love you, I'm for you, but I'm going to give you something better. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's specific request was denied, but his request wasn't denied altogether. God didn't take away his thorn, but God does give him his grace, and that is better. Leads us to our fourth application, which is this for you. God's grace is sufficient enough. It's enough to get you through any pain that you're going through. In the original language, is sufficient, is in present tense. So this is not like, hey, God, he helped you in junior high. You're an adult now. You're on your own. It's not, you know, once I get to heaven. It's not when I'm older. It's present, ongoing. It means that 
any second of the day right now and as long as you are walking with Christ, that God's power is available to strengthen you. That word sufficient there means content. Content. It means enough. That's how it's translated. So Jesus is saying, my grace for you is enough to get you through. It's enough to make you feel content. Grace often tossed around but not defined. Paul being the recipient of grace means that God is going to be gracious to him, to show him favor, to show him his goodness, to demonstrate his care through God's people, to give him a goodwill disposition of some sort. Those are the things that are better than healing. So yes, I do believe God heals today. Yes, I do think we should pray for healing. Yes, it's great to pray for God, get me out of this, help me. But it's also good to pray, God, give me a good attitude. God, what do you want me to learn in this season? God, help me to, it says in your word, God, help me to experience this grace that you're talking about. I want this to be a present reality in my heart, not an abstract thing that the preacher just says. God, help me to glorify you in this season and have inner peace and joy even when my life seems like it's fallen apart on the outside. And the fifth application we can draw from this is contentment in Christ, satisfaction, joy, peace. It's possible even in pain. You don't have to have great circumstances to be content. True contentment is independent of circumstances. There's nothing in circumstances which should affect joy, peace, or contentment. Nothing. It's on the, it's on the inside. It's a heart disposition. It's an attitude towards Christ. That's what Paul says where he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what Paul's been building up the whole time as he's been talking to his opponents. Saying, yeah, I know you guys criticize me all the time and you wish for me my downfall. You don't really think I'm a legit apostle. But I want to tell you something. I've gone through a lot of hardships and weaknesses and I've experienced the power of Christ through it. In fact, it is through weakness and hardship in which you experience God's power more. More. It's the prerequisite for power. It's where it shines the most. It's where it's most obvious. Because when you're doing well and you're getting good sleep at night and you're reading your Bible and praying and everything is going well... You wonder, I feel great, is this because of me? But when things are hard, and you have inner joy and peace that you can't explain, or you feel content, or you see God's care, then you wonder, there's no way that was because I manufactured it. Because God is working. Because God is working. There was a, a man in uh, New York, a man, young man named Khalif Browder. I'll save you the details, but he was arrested for something he did not commit. 
sent to Rikers Prison in New York, one of the toughest prisons in America, and was uh, lots of fights and was taken advantage of for three years. And then he got to his court date three years later, and the judges realized this guy didn't do anything. They let him go, not guilty. As I watched the documentary, it made me think of Christ, who was suffered and beaten, and he himself was not guilty. And like Paul, Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times for the cup. The cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God to go away. Falling down on his face, coming back to see his disciples only to see them asleep. No help from anyone. Father, if there's any way that this wrath could pass me, if somehow your wrath could be satisfied other than me dying on the cross, rising from the pain, rising from the dead, please just let this be another way out. God the Father said no. Jesus' prayer was denied. Thank God. Because through his death on the cross where he died for your sins to give you an opportunity to have a right relationship with God through believing in him, and rising from the dead, he has made a way for us, our ultimate pain of eternal wrath of God, to go away because of what Christ has done. And now Jesus lives right now on his throne, ready to help any one of his people who are willing to draw near to him. I encourage you to do that today and all throughout 2021. Let's pray. Oh God, I know right now there are many people in pain, physical pain, a diagnosis from the doctors they weren't looking to get, family members on their last days, scares from COVID, scares from financial strain. Oh God, be, be near, be present in this time of help. Help us to boast in our weaknesses and help us to see your power all throughout this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.